reading from verse 11 all the way to verse 37. So if you can be opening your Bible, a light soccer supporter. And I say light because it's been a tough couple of years for the two teams I support, um, which are, <laughs> it's just been tough. There's even some guy, there's even some guy from Soweto who wrote a song about Chiefs being beaten. But the Chiefs supporter of a soccer team. I decide this is not working out for me. Can I, as, as a human and as a man, punch team? What's, <laughs> thou shalt not, eh? So I, I was discussing this with some friends up in Baku. I say, no, you can't. It's, uh, it's loyalty. You must be loyal to your team. Um, and uh, these soccer supporters that are extremely loyal to their teams, to the point of putting up with all kill. But then the same soccer supporter will go home and cheat on his wife. So what's happening there? This, this, this will suffer for my team. Will go home and cheat on a wife. Yeah, they, they will put up with a crappy team, but cheat on an amazing. I thought it was helpful to highlight that I believe what God is calling us to as Christians, um, as a local connection. It's so common in our context, in our world, for people to hold dual convictions, you know, and they, they'll hold one when it's convenient. Because supporters that say they're loyal, but when it's time to be loyal, well, not so much anymore. So that's the one thing. So, and it was just so excellent. And particularly, this idea that God is calling us to not only be surface level, serve everything, where we give off everything, and today's sermon will be a continuation on that. And as everything, not only out of duty because we have to. So bear with me and let us read on our phone. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along Samaria and Galilee. This is Jesus. And lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreign? And being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in for behold. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see you look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up, disgust he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of God, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the day, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them. So will it be on the put his goods in his house, not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, and one will be taken, and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One is there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. 
men. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's much point to say about is reconciled to Jesus. And then the second point is reconciled from the heart. <laughs> and speaking about reconciliation, but the part of the biblical understanding of what the word means, reconciliation, is that it can be two groups. It can be man and man or God and man. And oftentimes in the Bible, we see God and man being reconciled together. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are of enmity. That's when you're someone's enemy. Instead of enmity, there's now peace. And instead of separation, there's now the union. Sermon, as you look through the book of Luke, this is one of the themes that runs through the whole book of Luke. This idea that Jesus came to seek, search, save the children, rescue mission, yeah? And you can think of the floods last year. There were, there were hectic floods in Durban last year, and there were people, as they came, they were able to save many lives that would have otherwise been lost. So they didn't come to Durban to enjoy the... And when I read Luke and I see this picture of Christ as a man who has come to seek and save the lost. Christ didn't just come from Johannesburg to Durban to seek and save the lost. He, he crossed the great divide and he came from heaven. He put on humanity. John 1 tells us on his mission to seek and to save the lost throughout his life on earth. And it's obvious to us in the book of Luke. Today, Christ is still committed to his mission to seek and to save the lost everywhere, particularly in Durban. And Durban is in the city is much worse than the economic or infrastructural damage that we saw with the floods as well is much worse. And it's, it's a painful thing to say because people lost their lives, but the prospect of someone dying eternally, Durban needs Christ who comes to seek and to save the lost. And it was amazing how last year we got resources, they gathered people and they helped in this time of crisis, how much more then should churches not continue together for this particular much greater? So as I was preparing, the, the reason I'm saying this is I really felt that uh, God is calling you again as a church in your heart, and then also to, to join Christ, to join Christ as he reconciles the city to himself, as not just surface-level servants, but really servants from the heart who of following God in a deep and meaningful way and accepting it. So to that end, we will look at two points, as I said. The one is reconciled to Christ, and the other is reconciled, says, and as he, Jesus, entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. So reconciled to Christ, and the first point here is our separation from God and also the city's separation from no Leprosy was a disease, and the, the disease was so contagious that it was forbidden by law. The, the painful nature of leprosy, in a unique way, was that in the time of your greatest need, you were unable to place of worship, so there's absolutely no way you can connect with any social structure. And again, in biblical times, the, the risk was so great, they put out of the camp every leper put him out, remove him entirely. On top of that, the Jews believed that lepers also had to cry out, unclean, unclean, referring to themselves. 
worship, they were defiled socially, they couldn't interact. And leprosy, besides being a sickness, really was an embodiment of separation. Isn't this picture of leprosy a helpful picture of what we used to be as well? Um, we're into his kingdom. We ourselves were enemies of God. And we ourselves were alienated from God, unable at all to approach him. Silly ancient that God has done in our lives. So there's other stuff we'll discuss, but before we get to the other stuff, it's just good for us. We like the lepers. We, we didn't go around shouting unclean, but really we were. But God made a way, and look at us now, the Savior, and falling at his feet and, and praising him. There's, there's that psalm that says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Salvation is like a nose you know, in some ways. Did you know that you can always see your nose, your brain now? Wherever you look, you can always see your nose. But because it's always there, your brain, brain, don't you brain? Your brain just blocks it out. That's why we have to pray the prayer. And none is exempt from that. Not the fresh convert or the ancestor. I'm so glad as we prayed for joy um, as we begin our time of worship because we need that. We need God to restore to us the joy of our salvation to the city. And again, I really felt as I was preparing that God was calling this community again to be reconciled to God ourselves as to the 3.7 million people that live in Durban, depending on how you count, either 3.1 or 3.7. For those stating things about their lives is separation from God. So much so that all the other stuff does not change about their lives is separation from God. Though they might cover themselves with for an amazing car, an amazing home, um, an amazing social life, um, but fundamentally, they're mentally unclean who do not know God. And this fact stirs compassion in us. It as oh, we've got compassion. Their greatest need, the city's greatest need, is reconciliation with Jesus. And the only organism to meet that need is the church as well. So the ten lepers stood at a distance. They lifted their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy. And it's the prayer we must pray now for the city as well, for Durban. God, have mercy on our city. So as the lepers were defiled and separated by the Father. So the lepers cried for mercy. Then in verse 14, it says, when he, they were cleansed. So, yeah, not much to say on this particular point, but what's a command from Jesus and the priest when you were a leper was the last thing you wanted to do at all. What I wanted to mention on this, in his book writes that the statement, not so, Lord, is an oxymoron. So if, if God calls you to, to respond to God by saying, not so, Lord, is impossible. You might say those words, but functionally so, and you'll do it and you'll call him Lord, or you'll cross out the Lord and you'll just say, not so. But what we have here, show yourself to the priests. I have no idea why he chose that particular way to heal them. They obey, and as they obey, there's grace to heal them. Verse 15 says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, 
were not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return your way if faith has made you well? So three amazing things in this verse, in these verses that I'd like to pull out for us. Instead of continuing to enjoy the benefits of his healed state, if he had continued as the others continued with his friends, his family, with work and worship as well. Of course, both interacting with the priest, he, he, he's the one guy that, that turns back because in his heart, I believe that there is a recognition that he, he praises Jesus or gives thanks to him as, as he proclaims and bows down at his feet in every other instance where direct time to God, no one else. So the, the sense is that this one guy got healed and as he was healed, this is God. And that is the reason, I believe, why he, he turned back. Because that recognition of God's hand and, and prioritize giving praise to God. It's so good for us to turn back to God again. When we do that, it indicates that what we actually wanted was God himself in the first place. And then the second amazing thing in this text is that um, more than just his body? So that that last um, that last sentence there, and he said to him, "Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well." It, it speaks to well-being more than the body, more than the leprosy. That Christ was speaking well-being to his heart and to his inner man, saying to this gentleman, "Your your your greatest need, of course, there's leprosy." And there's the social economic impacts of having left. This is the renewal that you need, and that's the point of reconciliation that you need. And thankfully, that heaven, you know, Jesus calls the leper who called back to him. He, he he calls him a foreigner. He says this foreigner, and he calls him this foreigner. They didn't come back. This guy was an unlikely candidate. And Durban, the city, is full of unlikely like this Samaritan, this foreigner. And I believe that what this text is encouraging us in is one, let us have faith join Jesus in his search and rescue mission in the city, especially for unlikely candidates. Sometimes they can be a bit uncomfortable. Let us welcome them when they come into our space, when they come through the door, reconcile to Jesus Christ. And uh, I just want to share this with you. As we move to the next point, everyone can see that. But the, the, the first thing is that, of course, we are reconciled to Jesus. We, we see it in the text. We see it in our Jesus. The second thing is that we will be reconciled from the heart. And we are going to be turning our attention because this is what I call my, my countdown app. And I have no idea how long I'm going to live for might be like 80 years, maybe if I live until 80. Perhaps that's how useful, that's how many useful days I have. I have 16,270 days, 13 hours and 21, 20 seconds, it's going down until I turn 80. This for me is quite significant. When I began this countdown app, I had more than 20,000 days. So I found this very helpful to, to, to remind me just of the eternal perspective that um, 
yeah, I guess we only have so many days, so many hours, so many minutes and seconds left. Um, we don't know how long, we don't know how much, but into the next portion of our scripture, it's a good reminder that time is limited and the stakes are high. So then even as we enjoy our reconciliation to God, we must ask ourselves, in view of that comment that a surface-level servant here to just do my duty, or am I serving the Lord with everything that I have? Come back. The one serving the Lord with everything he has is more similar to the one leper that returned to Jesus. And really, affection turns in our hearts. And we, we already saw Jesus say to the leper, your faith has made you well. And he, he was, in fact, considering this your heart. In the next few verses, talking about the coming of the kingdom of God by people expecting a physical kingdom with noise and spectacular signs, and he effectively says to them, no, it's, it's not about that. It's, it's about the heart. That's verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Devotion that offers him everything we have. It's, it's an appropriate response because he has healed us from our spiritual leprosy, our eternal lives. Also, it's a loving response to the city for us to not only give them surface-level service, but that's what Christ is saying here. It's established in our heart. And this, yeah, this affects several things. And primarily, as, for example, church, if, if, if we know that the main thing that Christ cares about is the hearts of men and women, we find success. What is a successful church life, a successful Sunday or successful life group? It reorientates our priorities. For example, numbers are great on a Sunday. I, I myself am a fan of numbers. But that truth, it, it guards us against the advances of the hearts of men. That's what we want. So then we place high value on discipleship as for the sake of God's kingdom in the hearts of men. And then as the church, how do we respond when we are being encouraged and provoked and confronted? Well, in this case, my particular heart, we are very open. We are very open to leaders encouraging us, confronting us, and provoking us. Martin Luther King, in 1954, he preached a sermon and he introduced the idea of jumboism. It's like very large or big, it's like, a, like a jumbo jet. So he, jumboism. So he says, there has grown a deep worship of bigness, especially in this country, the States, applies here as well. We are all tempted to worship size. We live in an age of jumboism, whose men find security in that which is large in number or extensive alone for their convictions. They are those who have high and noble ideals, but they never reveal them because they are afraid of being nonconformist but they never took a real stand against it because of fear of standing alone. He also says, even the Christian church sanction it. This idea of, of jumboism and yeah, our church, Jesus calls us to not be like the, the signs, to also not be like the nine lepers who didn't come back when they were healed because they were more concerned about what Christ gave them, the condition of our hearts and also the condition 
of the 3.7 million hearts in the city as well. So once, for a, uh, a short while, it wasn't too long, along the same vein was they made the decision, reconciliation in their hearts, genuine reconciliation with God and life and godliness, that they were going to extitivation. Titivation, if you don't know, is the things you do to make yourself look good and nice. Like makeup and, and all the hours in say, titivating, and maybe like 30 or so minutes like in devotions. So they swapped it around and like just advance of God's kingdom in our hearts as well. So I thought that was an amazing example um, of what it looks like to, to pursue and to prioritize the advance of God's kingdom. And then in closing, um, I'd like, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who there is that Jesus was speaking about his second coming. And he's saying, on that day, if you're on the rooftop, don't come, turn back. And the story before that was the story of Noah and Lot and how judgment came suddenly in those regions. Someone seeing all these floods coming and like, oh, let me just grab a few things. Let me just grab a few things, save my possessions. And is that the, the heart must not be in what is in the house, but in what is in heaven. Whatever that looks like, but be on what is in heaven. And I, I think that's how we as Christians can avoid a situation like those Actually, they don't, uh, because it, it wasn't a, a heart-level conviction that we see Christ prioritizing great for our own eternal heart.